0: Welcome Eagles everywhere to the Eagles live podcast insider Dave Spadaro here just days after Super Bowl 53 the New England Patriots beating the Los Angeles Rams 13 to 3 a reminder ladies and gentlemen that defense wins championships and certainly my guest today understands that probably as well as anybody in the world I'm talking about Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Famer Seth Joyner former linebacker here and Seth you watch the Super Bowl. I can't wait to get your reaction to that game.
1: <laughs> Absolutely loved it.
0: You loved it. it. <laughs> Nobody else loved it. You, you're the only guy I know that loved the Super Bowl.
1: Well, listen, I think you know we got spoiled last year because we watched our offense explode for 41 points um, against one of the greatest defensive minds that the NFL has ever seen, and we were kind of we we're kind of spoiled. You know, I think you know most most NFL fans like to see a lot of a lot of scoring. Me being a defensive guy, you know, to me that's football. You know, the strategy that goes into it, a great defensive mind in Wade Phillips, um, a great defensive mind in Brian Flores and and, and Bill Belichick. Um, just great plans put together, um, causing stress on quarterbacks and, you know, um, I, I I think that's the way football should be played I mean I think you saw a little bit of old school football a little bit of new school football um, and and to me that was a football game not a 45-42 game
0: so are you telling me Seth that you watched it I'm assuming in Arizona that you were on mm-hmm. the edge of your seat for that football game
1: well, I really wasn't on the edge of my seat from the standpoint of, of, of you know offensive football you know I mean it was watch their game and dissect. And putting pressure on Jared Goff, you know that that was just great football. Being able to control the line of scrimmage and you know being able to to run the football in certain instances for for both teams—that's football, you know. Not throwing it 50 times all over the map and making defenses look like they have no answer at all.
0: Seth, you sound like a coach, which leads to my next question: Why in the world have you not gone into the world of coaching?
1: You know, I, I love analyzing the game. Um, I think if the right opportunity presented itself, you know, I probably would, you know, look into it, you know, right now, um, one of the greatest hindrances is, you know, I've got a 17 year old son that's got another one more year of high school left. Um, that's one hindrance. And then the other hindrance is, you know, the right situations. There's only a handful of places, you know, in situations that I would consider, you know, I, if I could, you know coach here in arizona obviously you know that would be perfect because i'd be here close to family wouldn't have to travel because it's a full-time job you know um the opportunity to to coach in philadelphia you know would excite me to be able to coach in a place you know where i where i played most of my football and the team that i have you know the greatest of loyalty towards you know absolutely i would look at that but you know the right situation has to present itself you know, in order for me to take on that endeavor because I know what a commitment that is.
0: When you played, did you understand how much coaches worked and how much of a commitment that they made? I mean, you were in your playbook, eighth-round draft pick. You had to really be on point intellectually to make it in this league. Did you understand the commitment it was required to be a coach in the NFL?
1: Oh, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, listen, I— One of the reasons why I have been a little bit hesitant, um, A, like I said, because of my son. You know, he's at that point in his life where he needs me in his life, um, you know, in in the most important of ways. But also, um, I understood because, you know, you you alluded to, you know, how much I studied. I was a student of the game, you know, and I studied. I prepared. I put time in um, because I knew that that's what I had to do as the eighth round draft pick. You know, you don't if you don't get the opportunities that a first rounder gets. You know, he's going to get three, four, five, six times. You know, as an eighth rounder. You know, I've got to be prepared and ready to when opportunities door open to me. I've got to be ready to step through and take advantage of that. So, you know, I was a preparation guy. You know, I mean, I would get there at seven thirty in the morning. Um, so, and, and probably wouldn't leave the complex until seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, you know, putting in extra film study and doing all the things that I need to do to prepare each and every week, um, you know, for a game. And when I got there at 7.30 in the morning, the coaches were there. When I left at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, the coaches were still there. <laughs> and even on, you know, my day off on Tuesday, I would come in at, you know, ten, eleven o'clock at night just to get the game plan or whatever they had ready of the game plan. So I had an extra day to prepare and be ready. And the coaches were there on Tuesday night. So I'm, I'm, I was, I've was i always been fully aware of the commitment um, that it takes to be a coach. And, um, and and I guess in some regards, that's probably the reason why I didn't just go right from the field, right into coaching. Um, because I just needed a break after 13 years of grinding.
0: Seth, in a moment, I want to talk about the lessons that, you apply from the playoffs to what you saw in the playoffs and how that applies to the Philadelphia Eagles and as we look forward to 2019 with this football team. But first I want to talk about you and, and your career and an extraordinary 2018 season during which you were uh, inducted into the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame. Thinking back to your career as an Eagle, what coaches, I know Buddy Ryan very close with who stood out to you as a coach? Who were some of the guys who were really influential in you being a success?
1: Well, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I was extremely fortunate um, through my 13 years to play for, you know, some of the greatest um, defensive minds and some of the you know, best um, head coaches of all time. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know, but Wade Phillips is my linebacker coach my first two years in the league. Um, When he left after two years, Jeff Fisher was my coach for the next three years. Um, Obviously, Buddy Ryan had a tremendous, tremendous um, impact, you know, on my career, um, on my development, and on, you know, how I learned how to prepare for games week in and week out. Um, You know, I followed him to Arizona here, played for him two years here when I went to Green Bay, I played under Fritz Sharma. I gotta go back because, you know, um, after Buddy, you know, was fired in Philadelphia, Richie Kotite took over and Buck Carson um, was the defensive coordinator. Um, a lot of people don't know that Bud Carson was the defensive coordinator for the Steelers when they were winning the Super Bowl.
0: Um, and and, and, that Bay, that, and, that and that was the year that that was the year you were, were defensive and the NFL defensive player of the year, nineteen ninety one. Right. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So and then I go to Green Bay and Fritz Sharma, you know, people in defensive football, um, you know, throughout the history of the league. Um, and 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 head coaches, you know, I got to play for Mike Shanahan. I got to play for Mike Holmgren in Green Bay and Denver. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be around, you know, some of the greatest minds in the game, offensively and defensively, and all of those guys in some way, in one way or another, influence, you know, my career in a tremendous way.
0: Is defense more of a... Uh... Everybody team working together got to be on the same page to have success. Or is it more individual talent seizes the day? Which do you think it is?
1: Well, I think it never hurts to have talent. Um, but I think you can look at the look at the New England Patriots and see that you know you don't have to have superstar quality guys in order to be effective. What you have to have what makes you know defenses you know, good is everybody on the same page. Every guy understanding what his job and what his responsibility is and doing his job and not trying to do someone else's job trying to make a play. When the play comes, if it's your play to make, then you make the play. If it's your job to contain, then you contain the football. You trust in the other 10 guys that they're going to be where they're supposed to be and do what they're supposed to do. That's what makes, you know, a defense a good defense. Now, I do believe that you have to have or historic defense. I mean, you've got to have some dominant players, you know, up front, and you got to have some dominant players on all three levels in order for you to be great. Now, even if you have that, I've seen teams that have
0: Was 91 the best defense you played with in Philadelphia?
1: Um, You know, I I, I think from a statistical standpoint, I think we, we, you know, for a long time I thought that, you know, we were, you know, one of the top defenses in the league, and I think we were viewed that way. I think the thing that separates us from, you know, say, you know,
0: Does it still even to this day bother you that the Eagles didn't win the Super Bowl when you were here?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you listen, even though I have a Super Bowl ring, you know, that's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, I'm happy for the city of Philadelphia that the Eagles closed the deal, you know, and got, got off the snide after 57 years last year and won the Super Bowl. Um, but there's not a single Super Bowl that goes by that I watch um, when I think about
0: Seth, one more item before we talk about this Super Bowl in 2019 and how they're related for the Philadelphia Eagles. In 2018, you were named to the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame. You and Clyde went in. Great ceremony, wonderful weekend. I wonder, since that time, what has life been like for you? What has the reaction been like from Eagles fans, from the Philadelphia community, and how it's changed your life? Well,
1: you know, hey, listen, I I think, you know, when you play in Philadelphia and you lay it out on the line for the city and the fans of Philadelphia, I think you're always beloved by the city. Um, you know, I, I've been amazed at, you know, how many people are cognizant of the fact that, you know, that I was this year inducted into the Eagles Hall of Fame and the fact that, um, you know, that they recognize that and they bring it to my attention on a continuous basis. So that's, that's been great. Um, it's, it, you know, to be able to, to be mentioned with the greatest throughout the history of an organization is no small thing. Um, you know, there are a thousand, you know, of players that have, you know, put on, you know, that green, uh, whether it's Midnight Green or Kelly Green, and a lot of great players that come through. And, and to be recognized as one of the best, um, you know, to ever wear, you know, the, 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 the Eagles logo, pretty darn special, man. That's, that's pretty darn special because, you know, there's a lot of guys that play that that won't know that feeling, that won't know the specialness of of knowing that every single time that that stadium opens for a game and you walk by the um, the Hall of Fame montage, that your picture is up there and people will, will realize and recognize that, hey, that guy was a great linebacker. That guy was a great player in the history of this franchise. And, and that's special, man.
0: Oh, Seth, by the way, a little plug here, because you are on the wall here at the Novacare Complex, the Pro Bowl wall. Every Eagles player who's ever been on the Pro Bowl is on the wall. And we've had throughout the year here, we started having the players come through and autograph their picture. So the next time you're in Philadelphia, please stop by the Novacare Complex. We'll film you. I'll put it on my Instagram, The Eagles Insider, and, uh, which you, by the way, should be Following me because it's good stuff. Clyde just went up the other day, but when you are in town again, please stop by Novacare and sign the wall. Would you please do that? We'll do absolutely excellent. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl and the Eagles in 2019 and how that's related. What lessons do you take from the Patriots and apply it to the Eagles? And how can the Eagles get back there next year?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I marvel at 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 the Patriots. You know, for their ability, you know, to adjust. And do what's necessary to, you know, right their ship when things seem to be, you know, a, a last year, you know, they come out last year to get blown out the first game of the season. Everyone thinks that the, that the evil empire is pretty much done, you know, and, and they struggle all year defensively, you know, and they figured out a way to right the ship at some point. Same thing happened this year, you know, they weren't hitting on all. I don't think we'll ever see it again. Um, so I can appreciate that, you know, as a fan of football. Um, as far as the Eagles are concerned, you know, this is just really a year for them to kind of get back in sync. I never really felt like all season long they were in sync. Um, from all the injuries that they had, all the injuries that guys were coming off of, you know, post-Super Bowl, you um, Having never been in a situation where, you, where you've where you been the defending Super Bowl champion and having multiple guys on your roster that had never been in that, that position, and young guys who had never been in that position before, I think that there was a palpable um, pressure that was there on this team all year long. You don't get Carson back until week three. You don't get Alshon back until week four. Um, you got injuries to... You know, incessant injuries across your offensive line that causes all this, you know, chaos, you know, and, and non-continuity on your offensive line. Um, all of those things kind of played into, you know, the season, you know, being very turbulent and very chaotic, you know, but what they were able to do at towards the end of the year is write the ship in, in a similar fashion to how, um, New England has been able to right the ship, you know, over the last couple of years. And that's encouraging because, you know, there was a point in time where, you know, hey, we felt like, hey, the season's over, you know, let's just, you know, play this thing out, get guys healthy, go into the postseason. But they showed something that very few teams are able to show when they're down that they're a resilient bunch, that they, you know, that they bonded together and decided that they were going to fight this thing out and see where the chips, you know, fell. And hey, they got into the playoffs. They wanted they won a wild card game and was right there, close to you know beating the Saints and going on to another NFC Championship game. I think that's that's tremendous, tremendous confidence for this team moving forward. I thought it was a smart thing to do to shut Carson Wentz down for the year um, when he got the back injury, um, because last year was really all about him rehabbing, trying to get back from you know, the ACL and the LCL injury. Um, this year, you shut him down with the injury because that now you allow him to go into the offseason and train for the upcoming season instead of rehabbing for the upcoming season. You get him to go through all OTAs to get your timing right with your wide receivers and, you know, get the continuity back. Get him, you know, to get through training camp and to get him to get through some preseason games so when week one rolls around, you know he's firing on all cylinders. You get guys healthy, and you know you go into your off season and you improve your team. I'm looking for, looking to see what, you know what Howie does. I think the team is going to look different next year, in a lot of regards. But I think that Howie and Joe Douglas have done a phenomenal job of putting the pieces together and building this team and filling areas that need to be improved. And I look for this team to be right back in the mix again, to be right back, you know, in the hunt for the NFC East and right back in the playoff hunt and right back challenging for another Super Bowl because their window, in my opinion, is still open.
0: Final football question. Your analysis of Jim Schwartz, the scheme, what can he do differently, or do you like the way he approaches defense?
1: Well, you know, obviously our philosophy, you know, we... are are different you know I grew up in an era of you know pressure defense you know that's just not the way that he calls defense you know and I think some people have the opinion that you know I can be over critical of Jim sometimes um but you know when I'm when I'm doing what I do um it's my job to be analytical and I'm analyzing what I see and you know and I see the game from a completely different perspective I just believe that um, and I think we saw on Sunday that the game, as much as the game has changed, the game still remains the same in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, quarterbacks in this league um, can hurt you in a myriad of ways. Um, and the one thing that always makes quarterbacks unsettled, all quarterbacks kryptonite, in my opinion, is pressure. And at some point in time in games, you have to let a quarterback know that I'm not going to allow you to stand in the pocket comfortably you know, and and dissect, you know, my defense. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring some pressure. I'm gonna creatively come at you, and I'm gonna make you make tough decisions, critical decisions. And if you make the wrong decision, then we're gonna hurt you. You look, you know, and that last interception by Jared Goff. You know, they brought a zero zero blitz, and Jared Goff had one option and one option only, and that was throw the ball away or throw the ball to the receiver. He threw the ball to the receiver off his back foot, interception, game set and match. Now, there are times, you know, to play conservatively. I'm not just an all-out blitz type of guy. You know, I played for a guy that was like that, and I think at, some, at certain points in time, you know, that that you know, Buddy's philosophy hurt our defense more than it really helped it. But you know, because we were a pressure team and we were an aggressive team, that's what made us so dominant. But there are times to be passive, and there are times where you can't be um, non passive. You have to be aggressive. You have to force the issue. Um, and and, and philosophy wise, sometimes I just think that, you know, Jim Schwartz can be a little passive in how he calls defenses. You know, what's wrong when you've got a team in second and, second and 15 or second and 20? What's wrong with bringing a pressure and forcing the issue? Making the quarterback make critical decisions, hoping that he makes a mistake, or making him dump the ball off for a short game, creating third and long and what's wrong sometimes with bringing pressure on third down instead of giving up field position by giving up you know playing at the sticks and giving and, and allowing them to get fifteen you know fifteen yards, and now it's fourth and one, and he got a punt now you've you've used up fifteen yards of field position by acquiescing and giving up that much yardage. Why not bring pressure and create a pressure situation? Play the DVs off five yards, expecting and knowing that that ball's got to come out now because you schemed it the right way, and the quarterback's got one free blitzer, and he's got one read. He makes the throw. They make the catch. Five-yard catch, four-yard catch. We make the tackle get off the field. Now not only do we make them punt the ball, but we also we also maintain some semblance of field position. Um, So from a philosophy standpoint, um, I don't agree with how he calls defenses sometimes.
0: Seth, uh, you talked about the Jim Schwartz philosophy and the pressure. You said it very well. Bring pressure on second and long. Bring pressure on third and long. Play your D-backs five yards off and make the tackle. Sounds pretty simple.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, a lot of other teams do it that way.
0: Yeah. It still was (laughs) remarkable, though, I found that the Eagles were – on the field with the offense, driving, chance to win the game against New Orleans. Given everything that happened in that game, I really give Jim a lot of credit for keeping the Eagles in that game, the defense keeping the Eagles in that game.
1: No doubt about it.
0: Yeah. Hey, no qu- doubt about it. Quick one, uh, let's, for the Eagles fans who are listening, the Wayback Machine here. Five hot takes from you, Eagles locker room, circa mid to late uh, 1980s and early 1990s. Funniest teammate
1: only his teammate. Absolutely, Jerome.
0: Okay. How about the best dresser?
1: Best dresser? Probably me, man.
0: <laughs> wasn't, wasn't William Frizzell a fine dresser as well? I kind of remember him being a good dresser, too, for some odd I don't reason. Know. Okay.
1: Randall would always say that he was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Biggest overachiever?
1: Biggest overachiever. Wow. Um. Wow. Um, oh, that's a tough one, man. Cause I don't, I, you know, when I think about, when I think about our teams, I really don't envision any of our guys as being overachievers. You know, I mean, Clyde and I were both, you know, eight and ninth round draft picks, but I don't think we ever really viewed ourselves as overachievers. I think we've kind of visualized ourselves as guys that, you know, um, DMs and draft experts, you know, kind of dropped the ball on. But um, I, I can't think of one guy that I would say, you know, was an overachiever because mm-hmm. we just had too many great players on our team.
0: Um, they contributed. Okay, I will, I will, I will nominate you and Seth, uh, you and Clyde together, eighth and ninth round draft picks who reached the Eagles Hall of Fame. To me, to everyone, are overachievers in a sense. But I mean, I know you guys had different expectations of yourselves. All right, smartest teammate.
1: Smartest teammate. Um, you know, if, if people people won't look at him this way. Um, I would probably say Eric Allen. I was going to say Jerome Brown because, you know, people never looked at him, in, you know, from an, an intellectual standpoint because he was such a phenomenal athlete. But I mean, he would he would turn to me and 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 he would see stuff. I mean, he'd be hey, they're light over here. They're running it right here, you know. Um, hey man, I'm I'm going, you know. Cover me. I mean, he would see things with his hand down on the ground that you wouldn't imagine that most defensive linemen would see. And I don't think I've ever played with another defensive lineman that was so in tune and clued in to you know what was going on. But Eric <laughs> Allen was a was a extremely cerebral um, player. I mean, his preparation was second to none, and the things that he knew and the alerts that he would make and the things that, you know, he would do, I mean, he'd he he could also, he'd almost know what the quarterback was going to do before he'd do it. But I was also astounded by, you know, by Jerome because, you know, guys with their hands down, you know, all they see is, you know, what's in front of them For him to, you know, have a feel for what was going on away from him. And what was about to transpire in front of him, and be clued into it, and take advantage of it. You know, I mean, you never heard anybody talk about him. Oh, he was a student of the game, but he really understood the new
0: football. And the final one, Seth, the best party you can ever remember as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, if you remember a great party.
1: Oh my goodness. Every week was a party with us, man. <laughs> I mean, when you had the type of teammates, you know that 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 I had, man. You know, Thursday night was our going out night, and trust me, you know every every Thursday, every week was a party for us. Um, you know, Buddy had a philosophy. You know, you bring a hard hat to work, bring a lunch pail. We're gonna work hard, but when you're off the field, he advocated for us to play hard, and we certainly played hard.
0: Seth Joyner, thank you so much for joining the Eagles Live Podcast. Have a great off season, and we look forward to hearing you and seeing you when 2019 Philadelphia Eagles football begins again. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you, my friend. Take care. All right, Seth Joyner, here on the Eagles Live Podcast. Thanks so much to Seth. Thanks so much to all of you for joining us each and every week here on the Eagles Live Podcast. Eagles everywhere, thanks so much. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. And from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro, fly, Eagles fly.